0: In 2013, Seacoast Church celebrates 25 years of serving God and changing lives. God has blessed Seacoast immeasurably, but we believe that the best is yet to come. Next is about celebrating our here while asking God to show us our there. Next is also about God's plan for you. He has a next for you, whether you know it or not. So let's take some time to discover your next and what it will take to get there. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Josh Walters, I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us in one of the venues or online or at an offsite campus, wherever in the world you happen to be, we are excited that you are along for the ride. Well, last weekend here at this campus, across all of our campuses, we celebrated our 25th anniversary. Was it great? Did you have a great? uh, I thought it was such an incredible service. It was such a blessing for me because there's so many men and women leaders in our church that were here really from the very beginning that I've heard these stories about that have kind of become like fishing stories. You know, it might have been like this, but I've heard like, oh, wow, you know, so it was great to hear the truth on some of those, uh, some of those stories and, and meet some of the folks that God used to really lay the, the foundation of the incredible adventure uh, that Seacoast has been. I enjoyed worship, wasn't that cool in the middle of the message to kind of see the way worship has changed over the years and to see the many different different hair styles of Banks. I was blessed by that to know that uh, I'm not the only one with changing weird hair. So it was uh, not that hers was, but mine, never mind. We're going to move on from that. So uh, so today we're in for a special treat. A uh, little over a year ago, we uh, came Upon a relationship with a guy named Eric Ewers who works with Emmy Award winning Ken Burns. He's worked as a uh, overseeing production and editing, really partnering with him uh, for a little over 20 years, and who has a special relationship with Seacoast that you're going to hear more about in just a minute. But but he's come to love our church and to really be a part of it and said, Man, I would love to create a film, produce a, a documentary to really capture the story of Seacoast. And what I love about it, Revelations 12 says, They triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb, meaning the sacrifice of Jesus, his death on the cross, giving us the opportunity to have a relationship with God, but then also the word of their testimony. See, people can debate with you all day long about the validity and accuracy of God's word, but one thing that it's hard for people to argue with as the evidence of a changed life, the testimony of God's faithfulness, of his work uh, in your family, in your walk with him, in your marriage, with your children, whatever it happens to be, when we can bear witness to tell the story of what God has done, uh, it gives him glory. And so this was just an incredible opportunity for us to, to retell our story. Some folks, uh, you know, I've heard that they haven't been around long, they've never heard the story, and it was a, a faith builder for them. Uh, seeing not only all God has done, but a faith builder to know what he's going to do. You know, the same God, as, as David said, that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the mouth of the bear will deliver me, you know, from this Philistine. So all of the incredible work that God has done, he's going to continue to do incredible things. So we're going to have the opportunity this morning to view the, the documentary that he's produced. But before we do that, I wanted to introduce you to him so you can get to know him a little bit better and hear about his relationship with the church. So if you will here at Mount Pleasant and at all of our campuses, give a rowdy, Guys, Welcome to Eric Ewers as he comes. Hey How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So glad that you're here with us. So listen, start off just by telling us, uh, a little bit about yourself. I know you've gotten to work on some uh, in- incredible projects mm-hmm. over the years, number of different documentaries, pretty much all of them view on PBS. PBS correct. So I'm sure you've heard of a lot of them. Ta- tell us about just a few of them. Which one has been your favorite and why?
1: I think I'm drawn to the ones that are more biography centered. Um, I'm fascinated by the human story and um, from like Mark Twain uh, was one of my favorites because it's a man who had to be funny and he lost everything in his life. Hmm. Every family member, his children, and he still had to be funny. Um, Jack Johnson, uh, the first black heavyweight champ in the ni- turn of the century, 1903. Um, everything was segregated, but when you put a black man and a white man in a ring, as one person said, instant equality. Wow. And th- those kind of things fascinate me, what makes uh, human beings tick. And the, the honest answer is always the one I'm working on right now because they're, they're, uh, they're like your child that you're raising. And a film, a mini-series takes about six years to make from oh this, the beginning to the end. So it's a very involved process and we're looking at every teeny frame of it the whole way. That's incredible,
0: that's incredible. So tell me about just your relationship with Seacoast. How did this opportunity come about? Why did you want to capture our story?
1: Well, I was introduced to, to Seacoast, um, my mom, which I, I lovingly call Mimi. She, uh, she has been going here and my family comes down on vacation and, uh, we came here and just fell in love with the place. We've, up up north, I'm from New Hampshire. Um, we've been looking for a church and unable to find one that just feeds us the right way. And if I could fly down here every weekend, I'd, I'd do it.
0: That's awesome. I I was talking with Eric before the service and, uh, We were talking about church online and it was something that he didn't really know that was available uh, for him as an option knowing that that you love our church and for anybody you know here with loved ones that may live in another state or be looking for a church as you talk about seacoast and all god's done just want to plug church online Uh, pastor seth's doing an incredible job there so definitely a solid option for us so tell me a little bit you've sifted through more videos conversation Mm -hmm. pictures content related to the last 25 years, you know, in the producing of this film than probably anybody. Uh, Is there anything that you've learned about us as a church, any lessons that you'd want to share?
1: Yeah. uh, You become a mini-expert on your films, you know, and um, I think the first thing to say is I learned how remarkable this place is through the people who, who make it. Seacoast, hmm. not just um, the Surrats and yourself but but the people here, the people who volunteer here, the people who work here. Um, but one of the biggest themes that I, I wanted to pull out of the film was that from the ordinary comes the extraordinary. Um, we're all ordinary people but we are given a gift by God to do the things that we do and um, what Greg has done and Josh and Jason and yourself and all of you have done here is so special and I just wanted to capture that. That's great.
0: Now I know a bunch of folks were a part of the process in producing uh, mm-hmm. the film. There were a team of folks here you know that you brought, our team of folks, is there anybody in particular you want to thank before we... Sure, I'd love started?
1: to. Um, as always, I need to thank my brother Chris, our company's Ewers Brothers. He wanted to do this since he was 10 years old. He said, we're gonna have a company someday. <laughs> and. And here it is, and it's very heartfelt. Um, my producer, he's, he's a co-director and cinematographer. Um, my producer, Julie Kaufman, who's just amazing, she keeps us together and keeps us from fighting. <laughs> and uh, Also, there is um, incredible talent here. The band, um, the cinematographers that contributed footage when I found what I was missing from when we came here to film. And they all just did such an amazing job. And most importantly, again, it's it sounds cliched, but the people are just Mm -hmm. amazing because they know we're here filming and they don't mind. Hmm. And they're allowing us sometimes to look at very private and personal moments, but it's all for a greater good. And I appreciate that from everyone.
0: Well, we appreciate you, man. Eric was telling me yesterday that of all the films uh, he's been a part of, this is the first one that he's been present for, the, the official live viewing for the first time. So, Well, with Ken, with Ken
1: Burns, I'm an editor for a living. I sit in a dark room and make his films for him, and <laughs> I watch him say the wonderful things he says about them. So it's great go. to be here.
0: Well, hey, we're glad you're here. Y'all join me in giving Eric a hand. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Thank you. So this is going to be a little different than normal, but I'm so excited uh, to see it with family. It's not just the, uh, the Seacoast story. It's not just the Surratt story, but it's our story, uh, a story giving thanks to God for an incredible work that he's done through our church. So friends and family, it's my honor to present to you for the first time the Seacoast 25-year documentary.
2: And on the 18th of that month, we walked into the doors of Seacoast Church, and our lives have not been the same. The first time I came into Seacoast, and it just—I knew this place was. Dead. Has blessed me so much
3: through this church. I heard God for the first time in mm-hmm. ministry.
2: Seacoast is a family, family that totally. his
3: Seacoast showed me that God is real. It's
2: a different type of church. I can't to that service, how and I will never forget that I don't know how we we'll get sea through Coast it. Seacoast has changed
0: our lives forever.
3: We just crossed a barrier at Seacoast. 25 years. It's a major hurdle, major accomplishment. I Want to give you some defining moments of what it means to be Seacoast over this first 25 years. I want you to remember when. I don't believe in coincidence. I do believe in providence. I felt like the Lord kinda led me, that this was the journey I was on, that he would grace me in a powerful way with his presence and his power. I knew that God was gonna do something special, but I never could have imagined this. What started as a thought, an idea, a calling, Uh, after 25 years has become a church, 12 campuses, a church planting movement, hundreds of thousands of people, Um, an amazing thing. And God may be saying something to you today, say, respond to me. The essence of Seacoast's story is community.
4: I would define community as true friendships getting around other people, especially in the faith, that, that inspire you to, to grow
3: in your relationship. That we are as passionate about our relationships with one another as we are our relationship with Christ.
4: It requires being real. It requires forgiveness.
3: Community is this wonderful responsibility we have to one another to do life together and to accomplish the mission of God together. That's Seacoast.
2: I've just learned to love
3: the Lord so much more. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to Grandpa's house, just kind of sit around on the couch. He'd he'd sit there, we'd be all around him, maybe on the floor, some of us on his lap, and and we'd say, "Grandpa, tell us when." And he'd tell us a story. He told us who we were as Surratts. Yeah, there have been many times in my life where I've wondered if God got the right guy. And um, uh, the jury's still out. (laughs) It is pretty
4: ironic that God would use a family that was known uh, as some of the worst of
3: the worst. My grandmother one summer, uh, when I was about 10 years old, gave me a book about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and said, these are your people.
4: Mary Surratt, she was convicted in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln as a co-conspirator. She was the first woman hung by the United States government. That's something to be proud of as a family.
3: My grandfather was the meanest man in town, was a bootlegger in western Oklahoma during the Depression and he'd
4: gotten a few gunfights along the way. I met him only once or twice, but he did show me the gunshot scars. It's interesting to me, though, that one choice by one man could change the trajectory of an entire family.
3: He was drunk, and he said he had an experience with God, kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus, which sobered him up and uh, they joined the little church that started there. And then ultimately he became a preacher and planted small churches all over western Oklahoma. They fled the Dust Bowl to Southern California like a lot of Okies, and so he began to plant churches out there also. My father became a pastor, and then in his latter years of ministry he was a missionary to India. I was very respectful of men who were in full-time ministry, but it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a rock star.
2: He was into this band. I loved going on and hearing him play, and sort of, uh, I was a groupie, I guess, of sorts.
3: Our band was playing in a large church in Chicago at actually a youth rally. And the band member said, you know, somebody should say something at the end of our playing. And they said, well, it should be you. I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, your dad's a preacher. So at the end I did say something and it seemed like God used it. Kids listened. And so I called my girlfriend at the time, who's now still my girlfriend, but she's my wife also. And I said, you know, I don't know if this rock thing is gonna make it, but I might be a preacher someday.
2: I just knew he would do more than that. He would be a pastor or an evangelist or something, you know.
3: I began by being a youth pastor because that's kind of where you start and um, it didn't work real well. Uh, I was fired in my first three jobs in ministry. You know, irreverent was a term that I thought kind of described me to some degree. Just a different way of seeing life and God, and maybe not the typical viewpoint that you might see from a pastor or a preacher. My mom said that uh, everybody's good for something, even if it's just to be a bad example. (laughs) And sometimes that's the way it feels. But it's amazing who God will use. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now. Tell you what we're going to do today. We're in a series called White Flag. And we're gonna take a time out. out and for a whole time of being I had a been praying about this just been yes. I, I truly I felt love loved.
4: When I was a little boy, traveling in a moving van across the country to move to this strange land where people used words like y'all, we didn't understand it. And and I can remember thinking, Why are we doing this? Why are we uprooting our family? Why
3: seacoast? Debbie and I were on staff at Northwood Assembly in North Charleston.
2: We had moved here and had taken a um, position at another church to kind of get away from pastoring because we were tired, we were worn out, and we had four children.
3: That's kind of where I was when Seacoast started. But there just became a sense of knowing deep in my heart, that God had called me to plant a church.
2: And then it was an adventure to see where we were going.
3: Now when we started the church, we decided to use an obnoxious marketing campaign. We got a phone book and we called homes at dinner time, which is, you know, everybody loves that. People had some real opinions on what church was about and why they didn't attend. And so at the end of that, we would say, uh, give us a chance. It's going to be a different kind of church. We'd love to have you come. The church started April the 3rd, 1988. The church started in a movie theater. We'd have to go in every week and clean the roaches out of the popcorn and the gummy bears off the floor so the kids in the nursery wouldn't eat them. We had 340 people that first week. So we were off and running. That was the beginning. We did night services a few times at a country club in a school and in a dance studio, which was interesting because it was only about 25 feet wide and maybe 40 feet long. And, but they had um, mirrors along the walls. And so it made it look like we had twice as many people. I kind of liked it there. At times, it seems there's no way, but God, you can make a way. We... How many of you started coming there? Byron and Jane. I'd oh, there's several.
4: I was eight years old for the first service. And so for the first 10 years or so, I was just baggage along the way. But I just was able to watch and see this thing unfold. I love this the cinema years because, again, I was a kid. We would come through after church was over, and you know they had the chairs that flip back up. Uh, all of the adults' change would fall out of their pocket, and so we'd go get the quarters, <laughs> put and, them, uh, put them in the offering the next week. No, we would play video games in the lobby. And okay.
3: So, There's going to be a revival here. We're going to see 500 people. People's lives are going to be changed. Soon there'll be a thousand. In fact, I called my best friend, growing up, Terry Hilders. I said, Terry, you got to quit. You got to resign. You got to come out. Join me. I can't handle all these people. I thought attendance would grow. Um, If if, uh, negative growth is growth, it it did very well. Uh, The attendance never really grew for three years. Some people say those were the good old days. No, those were just the old days. I can remember people coming into my office and saying, you know, this is not what we bargained for. We don't like the music or, you know, it doesn't really minister to our family. Hmm. uh, So how does that make you feel? The question was, uh, would we be faithful to the vision? And uh, it was tough.
4: Finally, it probably felt like years and years and years before numbers started to happen. And we began to experience a little bit of growth. Uh, and I remember one day you started to have a vision that maybe maybe God could actually do something significant through this church body that this might actually work and then I know there was a, a moment at a groundbreaking ceremony where you, you said some pretty outrageous things
3: yeah it's pretty amazing what you'll say when you don't have a script we continue to meet through that time but I just knew I couldn't put my finger on it I thought about a new church. I wanted to do that. Ultimately, we bought a piece of ground where we are now. And we broke ground on our original campus at the beginning of 1991. It was just an incredible day. We cleared a piece of land. We took the chalk that you map out football fields and We tried to draw a picture of what the auditorium would look like. I remember getting up to really capture the moment. I wanna tell you something. I feel it and I sense it, that when we are long gone, there will be tens of thousands of people who will come to this piece of ground and God's gonna change their life because people like you had a vision to do this thing there was something inside of me that 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 knew that god was going to do something special here now we're 5 years into it We've got the same number of people as we had that first Sunday. We've finally grown back. And I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to handle all these people? Got to understand, I was from a small church. So I went to the beach and I took a Bible and a notepad and I said, God, if nothing were impossible and your will was being done perfectly on earth at Seacoast, as it was being done in heaven, what would that look like? And I just began to write what it might possibly look like. Well, it happened. By the year 2000, uh, we we were doing five services, and there were 2,000 people coming.
4: And then 2001, we're reaching Uh, Probably over 2,000 people at that point and the natural solution was we need to build a bigger building Yep, and so we went to the city and planned to build a bigger building. and It didn't quite turn
3: out how we thought it would We began to work with the city to build a larger auditorium Came down to the last meeting where they were gonna give us approval to build a bigger building Um, The town council voted no We spent significant amounts of money What am I going to do? How am I going to face anybody? But our biggest failure, God used to be arguably the biggest blessing to the body of Christ because we had to think outside the box. His solution for us was multi-site. We planted our first site um, next door in the annex and then we planted one in Columbia and then we planted the the West Campus and the Dream Center and Somerville and on and on and on. So maybe we're right where God wants us, right now.
4: We did have a pretty significant moment in our church where everything sort of changed around the way we do worship. Talk about transition.
3: A few years ago, um, I came to a point in my own life where I was dry in my spirit and as a church, a dryness in our worship of God. I felt like I was alone. And I felt afraid. Can we do this? Is this it? You know, where where do we go from here? I know I was at a Starbucks one morning and a lady said something to me that riled me up. Let's just say I, I wanted to do some things that probably weren't Christ-like at that particular moment. It, showed me that there was something inside of me going on that was bigger than I knew.
4: The fact that he was willing to acknowledge it, one of dad's life verses, Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary, keep doing what you know is right. And at some time, a harvest will come as a result of it. The peaks and valleys of life, it's in the valleys where usually fruit is
3: And so I went to the Lord and and just poured my heart out that I wanted to experience the presence and power of God in a fresh way. It set off about a six-month pilgrimage for me. God used that wonderful lady at Starbucks that day to send me on a journey that literally would, would change our church. I went to various places. One of them was on this island that feels like it's the edge of the world in Iona, Scotland. An old, several hundred year old little room. And when I went in the room, in the corner, there was a cross and there was a lady in there. She had pinned a little note on the cross and she was weeping. And as I walked into this place, I experience the presence and power of Jesus in, in just a way I hadn't in a long time. I went to the Notre Dame Cathedral. While I was in there, I saw some ladies who were lighting a candle, and as they did, they were crying, and there was the power and presence of Jesus in this place. I went to visit a friend of mine in kind of a, what you call a little bit more demonstrative Pentecostal church, and they anointed me with oil and prayed, and I had a sense of the presence and power of Jesus. And one day, after a sermon— I felt as though the Lord directed me to Isaiah chapter 29. He said, your worship is just a list of rules that men have. He said, your hearts are far from me. His desire was to astound the people with his presence. You know what? I want to do that here at Seacoast. So one Father's Day, everything changed. I said, we're going to take time to respond to God, and let's see if he won't astound us as we worship him. And he did. We're gonna take some time to respond to God. There's some area of resistance that you feel like is coming against where God is taking you. Maybe you wanna go to the cross and just put it there and say, God, I leave it here. I leave it here. And God may be saying something to you today. Love to see you maybe go to the candles and light a candle. Say, May the light of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, really light up this dream within me. Maybe you need to pray with somebody today and we have prayer teams that love doing that we're going to receive communion together to celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us that we could have life
4: Oftentimes people will say that they came in and they got a lump in their throat or they began to cry before they even got to their seat. And I think it's just embracing that God's presence can't be really defined.
2: It's a new day. We choose to trust you, Lord. Mountain, of face. You are faithful.
1: You are still suffering.
3: Let's see how our God is able.
4: And I think God's called us to more, to the more that all of us know we have inside
3: of us, change the world. It's not just about personal transformation, it's about community transformation and to accomplish the mission of God together. The people of Seacoast have been there during crisis, whether that be an individual crisis or a crisis that impacts an entire community. After the devastating um shootings in Newtown, Connecticut. Shortly after that happened, we had a weekend where we gave an entire offering away. I think it amounted to like a half a million dollars. And a a portion of that went to Newtown, Connecticut. Lives
5: are changed and transformed. People are um, living in community
3: together. The people in this church are some of the first to volunteer and say, we want to make a difference. Seacoasters go on mission trips. Serving our community and serving
4: communities all over the world. We started in Central America. We've been in Africa from Kenya, Togo, down all the way to South Africa. We've spent time in Asia, India, China, When I became the
5: missions pastor, I felt like we needed to have a greater impact, a long lasting impact on the world. We found that the communities we were working in were lacking hope. And so about five years ago, we coined a term called hope epidemic. Let's bring that hope to the world. So we view our role globally as really building
4: the community. We saw a lack of clean drinking water get behind the local people there, the local leaders, pastors, teachers. There was a lack of education. And do whatever we can to support them, coach them, love on them, resource them. There was a, a lack
5: of medical facilities. And in some cases, there was a lack of a church.
4: So that when we leave, the ministry keeps going.
5: We've really seen a real transformation in
3: those communities in the last several years. We have been able to do some pretty incredible things.
5: an incredible experience and a service and thank you for being here again with us today. We've got a few things we want to uh, let you know about as you leave today. Seacoast First... has been awesome.
0: C-Coast I'm learning oh. new oh. things come every you day. Yourself. have hope for the future. Brought back to
2: worship.
4: I know there have been many transitions in the course of the 25 years of our church uh, and transition is not always easy. Specifically a couple of years ago your leadership team, kind of your core group that was helping you lead this place, transition out, and all in about the same year.
3: We had a world-class leadership team at that point. We had Jeff Surratt, who um, is still considered the foremost voice in the world on multi-site, and Byron Davis, who led us through that time, and Mac Lake, who uh, is uh, looked to all over the world for leadership, and then several other younger guys. Uh, all of them either went to do something different, similar to what we do here in another place, or were called by God to go other places to just kind of expand what was going on here. It felt like the team that got us here now was gone. They had done the work, they had led the way through this incredible journey, and they're gone. So what's gonna happen next? You've led well but it's going to be the next generation. Now we come to a place where soon it'll be time to pass the baton. So let me ask you this. How do you feel about the future?
4: The church now is reaching tens of thousands of people, and I hope that's something that I'll be able to continue to carry on. There's a responsibility that comes with it, though, because never in the Bible does it say we're called to build a big church. It says we're called to make disciples. And so I feel a lot of responsibility towards what are those thousands of people becoming? How are we leading them? How are we growing them? How are we discipling them?
5: I'm just thinking how grateful I am to be able to be a part of a church that loves, um, loves their community and also has a love for the world and uh, just that we can be a part is just, just amazing.
2: I stand back on the weekends and watch them all in action. It does your heart good to see them all involved. enjoying what they're doing and feel, feeling called to do it.
4: When I think about the growth that CECOS has had over the 25 years, sometimes I just want to laugh because I think it's funny that God would use such ordinary people to accomplish something that seems pretty
3: extraordinary. I know who I am and I know who we are and uh, we're just people. I just
5: thank God every day that He would use me, just an ordinary person, to to do his work and to be a part of this church.
3: Every week when I pull into the parking lot at Long Point or I go to another campus and I see the numbers of people streaming in, I have a lot of emotions. There is an amazing, probably overwhelming sense of awe that God would do what he's done here. And
4: I believe that if he's done what he's done in the first 25, that who knows what he might have planned for the next 25. I think it's, it's pretty incredible.
3: I think the future's gonna be okay. Since God in his mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we never give up.
4: We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are
5: perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down.
4: But God never abandons us. We get knocked down. But we get up again and keep going. And keep going.
3: And keep going. That's what I want to be like when I grow up. We're getting there but I think God smiles on us.
4: And as long as he's alive and well in us, God is very much alive and well at Seacoast. This is what it's about.
3: sit down. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Well, um, wow. I am uh, overcome with emotions. I wasn't going to do this. I did this last night. I saw this for the first time last night. You know, we, we gave Eric free reign. We said, Eric, you tell the story how you see it from an outsider. And uh, I'm very humbled. <laughs> I thought there was a little too much of Greg in there personally, but that's Eric's fault. Uh, but I'm uh, very, very humbled. Uh, to be a part of what God is doing and being a part of the story. And Eric, thank you very much for being a part of our life. And uh, we appreciate that. Uh, we, we didn't tell anybody. Our family was approached a few years ago about doing a reality show uh, of preachers. And uh, I thought that won't end well and said, said no. And so... That's the closest we'll probably ever come. But uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, uh, I'd like to pray. I want to pray uh, for those of you here, those of you in the campuses. You know, uh, God has been so gracious to us uh, through the years. We are all a part of a story, a story that begins with Jesus. And uh, this is a Thanksgiving weekend, and so let's just give thanks together, shall we, for just the story he's weaving among us and weaving our hearts together. Father, I thank you for just the privilege of being called by your name, the privilege of walking with you, the privilege of the fact that you you chose us while we were yet sinners. And God, you didn't have to use us, you didn't have to use any of us, but you choose to. God, I thank you for weaving my story into the story of thousands of people here. And God, I also thank you that the story isn't over yet. And that you have so many um, good things and uh, so many uh, lasting and eternal things that you want to do with us. And so this weekend we want to just say thanks. We want to express our thanks to you. We want to pause and, and take time just to say yes to you again. To re-up, to be a part of who you are and what you're doing in the kingdom today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.